Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Can I just say, I'm just laughing out of the gate here, chuckling to myself that, gosh, I talk about electric vehicles, it fires up the phone lines. Talk about public policy otherwise, (laughs) y'all are really fired up about them and we're not going to talk about them right now. We're going to talk about something else. Um, um, I got to talk about something somewhat a little difficult. You know what? I'm going to turn off the recorder. I don't really want to record this one. Um, next month in really only about three weeks, my wife and I will have been married for 22 years. I am not an easy person to live with for a day, let alone 22 years. She's a saint. And the secret to our marriage is that I'm deeply scared of her. (laughs) Um, My wife's family has a terrible history of breast cancer. She lost her mom when she was in first grade to breast cancer. Her mom's sister died of breast cancer. Her grandmother got it, but they found it timely. But lots of the women in her family died of breast cancer. Lots. And we knew that the odds were very good that she had the gene. And so while we were still dating before we got married, my wife got tested and none of the, the BRAC tests and whatnot, they, they did not come back as positive for the gene, but we knew it. It, it ran in the family. And so the doctors were of unanimous uh, con- consideration that her grandmother had it, her mother died of it, her aunt died of it, uh, that she had it, that, that even if they couldn't detect the gene, that there was enough we knew that she needed to go on and have a double mastectomy. Three months after we got married, Actually, it was January 20th, 2001. And I know that because I sat and watched George Bush's inauguration after that contentious Bush versus Gore campaign. I sat in the hospital reading my uh, David McCullough book on John Adams, which I finished up that day as I sat there waiting a very long day. She had to have complete mastectomy and then reconstruction. And the muscle damage was so extensive, she couldn't have the reconstruction. They put in expanders under the muscle. If you don't know what that is, they essentially put in empty bags. And over a series of months, they slowly inject saline to fill up those bags and slowly stretch out the muscle so that then... Later, in another surgery, those bags can be drained, removed, and implants placed in. All of this happened when my wife was 25 years old. You fast forward from the year 2000 to the year 2016. Turns out my wife didn't have the breast cancer gene. She had the incurable lung cancer gene in her family but we did it on a peace of mind. Her reconstruction did not go well. Uh, There have been six, seven surgeries over time. 
Um, I won't bore you or with the details, but it, it's it it was an ordeal. And then we hit this moment in our life where we had smooth sailing, only to have the lung cancer hurricane come on top of us as we've been sailing. I only recount all of this for you because there's a surgery in the New York Times surgery, a story in the New York Times today. More trans teens are choosing top surgery. What is a top surgery? It's a full double mastectomy. Why will they not call it a mastectomy? Well, of course, you know why. Because you all know what a mastectomy is. And many of you, if you or your spouse has had breast cancer, you understand the extent of that surgery. And if you knew it was a mastectomy they were talking about, you would understand why in God's name are they giving teenagers double mastectomies because they've decided that it's good for them. They have this photo of this woman, Dr. Gallagher. She is on TikTok convincing teens, not adults, but teens, that this is a good thing. She stands in front of a sign in this picture, and the sign is in the colors of the rainbow. Science is real. Black lives matter. No human is illegal. Love is love. Women's rights are human rights. Kindness is everything. Of course, standard. This is the the uh, the Apostles' Creed of the false apostles. It is the Apostles' Creed of paganism. And the New York Times covers the story of teens who are doing this. And, and the writer writes, general surgeries in adolescence are exceedingly rare, surgeons said, but top surgeries, top surgeries are becoming more common. And while major medical groups have condemned the bans on gender-related care for adolescents, the surgeries have presented challenges themselves. Much research has shown that as adults, transgender men generally benefit from top surgeries. And again, it's a double mastectomy. It relieves body-related distress, increases sexual satisfaction, satisfaction, and improves overall quality of life. A few small studies of transgender adolescents suggest similar benefits, but some clinicians have pointed to the rising demand and the turmoil of adolescent development as reasons for doctors to slow down before offering irreversible procedures. Although medical experts believe the likelihood to be small, some patients come to regret their surgeries. And it does make you wonder how many actually do, given the bullying that comes about when someone realizes they made a mistake. This is one of the underreported facets of this, is the number of people who go through a phase of being transgender are induced into doing surgeries and then regret the whole thing and they don't want to speak out because they get bullied by the transgender ideological community into being traitors. Dr. Gallagher, whose unusual embrace of platforms like TikTok has made her one of the most visible gender-affirming surgeons in the country, says she performed 13 double mastectomies on minors last year. 
up from a handful a few years ago. One hospital, Kaiser Permanente Oakland, carried out 70 double mastectomies in 2019 on teens ranging from 13 to 18. And they keep calling them top surgeries. Why do they keep changing the language? Because they're trying to normalize something that isn't normal. If you say these girls 13 years old are getting their breasts amputated, if you say these 13-year-olds are getting double mastectomies, you would not think it was normal. You would think there was something wrong. And so they're changing the language in order to try to destigmatize and normalize something that you would otherwise be well aware is not actually normal. And that should be the tip-off for so many of you that there's something seriously not normal about this, that there is something seriously wrong when they have to play the word games. When playing the word games, you understand there are problems. When playing the word games, you understand that they're trying to cover something up. I know what it's like to get a double mastectomy. Not because I had one, but because I was at every appointment. I was at every surgery. I went through the recovery with my wife when she was concerned about the scars, reassuring her that it was okay. When she had an itch, having to scratch her back in places she couldn't reach because she had an itch on her chest, but because of the way they had to rewrap her muscles and nerve damage, there were parts on her back that was actually what was itching that she had to scratch for her to feel like she was getting relief from the itching. I went through that with her. And they're trying now to normalize this. They're trying to, in some way, say this is normal. 13-year-olds, 13-year-old girls who are only just developing they're giving them double mastectomies and they're calling it top surgeries. They've moved very rapidly from this isn't happening to actually it's happening and it's a good thing. Just last month, they were denying that this was happening to minors. And now here comes the New York Times telling us, oh yeah, happening all the time. And it's, it's remarkable. There, This woman is essentially marketing medical procedures to children too young to understand the ramifications. You cannot anywhere in this country as a 13-year-old enter into a contract that legally obligates you, but you can have a double mastectomy. And they think it's a good thing. Re Let me read you some of this. As demand has grown, Dr. Gallagher, the surgeon in Miami, has built a thriving 
top surgery specialty. Again, double mastectomies. The doctor frequently posts photos, facts, and memes on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, proudly flouting professional mores in favor of connecting with hundreds of thousands of followers. Her feeds often fill with photos tagged uh, Nip Reveal Friday, highlighting patients like Michael, whose bandages were just removed. On her office windsill sits a framed nameplate with one of the best-known catchphrases on TikTok, Yeet the Teat, slang for removing breasts. Dr. Gallagher says she performed top surgeries, double mastectomies, on about 40 patients a month, and roughly one or two of them are under age 18. Younger patients are usually at least 15, though she's operated on one 13-year-old and one 14-year-old, both of whom had extreme distress about their chests. The surgeon said most of her patients, teenagers and adults alike, found her on TikTok. This is abhorrent. This is truly offensive to me. Do these people not know what they're getting into? A 13-year-old, I assure you, doesn't know what the 13-year-old is getting into. And what if the 13-year-old later changes her mind and she's had her breasts amputated. There's no way back from that. My wife had six or seven reconstructive surgeries. She didn't want the double mastectomies. She had to have them. And here you've got 13-year-olds who think they know what they want. And they're being induced by doctors. And now the New York Times is affirming it. Lior Saper is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's got a PhD. He has this tweet, while the piece could have been more balanced and accurate, it continues the New York Times trend of acknowledging that gender affirming care is controversial among experts. It's unclear how a prominent journalist at one of the world's leading newspapers can omit any mention of what's been going on in Sweden, Finland, and the UK, or the overview of systemic evidence reviews we've done. Surely there's relevant context. The reporter uses ideologically loaded terms where plain, straightforward, and factual language is possible. Why use the term transgender adolescent, a term even trans activists in the academy recognize as political when you can use teenager with gender dysphoria? The latter choices do not rule out transgender adolescents, but leave readers to destroy the complicated ideological issue for itself. For that matter, why use top surgery? It's a euphemism. Double mastectomy is more accurate and honest. The writer writes of top surgery in adults. It's been shown to relieve body-related distress, increase sexual satisfaction, and improve quality of life, and that a few small studies suggest similar benefit. A quick glance at the two studies she cites. The first measured only the reduction in chest dysphoria. The second is a very small convenient sample of post-op individuals relied on for self-report of symptoms within 90 days of surgery. Need it be said, 90 days is hardly enough to gauge the link of double mastectomies in teenagers and quality of life. Why not mention how Finland, Sweden, the UK, which all did systemic reviews of evidence, found 
no correlation. This is the New York Times on the ideological warpath for insanity, putting teenagers in jeopardy with some doctors going along and no one wanted to call them out. And so desperate are they for you to accept it, they have to even change the language from double mastectomy to top surgery as if it's no big deal. We live in times of insanity and the sane people out there are the ones who get accused of insanity. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some at our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bowling Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin to California king. You will feel the difference, and they're 100% free from toxins. No pesticides, no formaldehyde, no harsh chemicals. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you need to grow your business, you want to grow your business, you're buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, expanding a franchise, reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. They are in Noonan, Georgia, but it doesn't matter if you're in Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, or Miami Beach, they can help you as long as you're looking for a deal, $750,000 or more, firstlibertyga.com. Well, Democrats are pushing to unionize the EPA, which I find hilarious. More than 80 congressional Democrats are calling on the Biden administration to support proposals from the Environmental Protection Agency's largest union during ongoing contract negotiations. In a letter sent Monday to EPA Administrator Michael Regan, the Democrats urged the agency's political leadership to accept the requests of the American Federation of Government Employees Councils 238, which already represents 7,500 EPA employees. They're trying to get Joe Biden, who claims to be the most pro-union president in American history, to accept a deal on their employment and uh, implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act's money through the EPA. EPA unions are central to a thriving workplace. The agency is committed to a positive and productive working relationship with them. Uh, In the letter, the Democrats raised concerns that some EPA employees are being passed over for promotions. In particular, they wrote many employees seem to stagnate at the GS-12 level despite performing the work of a GS-13 government classifications for, um, for the civil service. Now, what's so notable here to me is that there are more Americans in unions in the public sector now than the private sector. If the Republicans came into power and ever wanted to pick a fight with these unions, it would probably go over well with their base because government workers these days, outside of like your local postal, your mailman that you actually like most government workers these days, well, they're not looked that great. I mean, my goodness, the FBI keeps giving itself black eyes. 
there's a fight to be had here with the government service unions as the Democrats try to push more and more people into unions. Now, when we come back, we got to switch gears. We got to talk about the economy. I've avoided the economy. I have largely avoided the economy, but it's all kind of running into play with some audio I've got to play you. Many Democrats are reconsidering Joe Biden for president in 2024, having decided they didn't want him at the leadership level. They're now starting to think, it'd be better to have Joe Biden than somebody else out there. At least that's what they're saying. I want to play you the audio when we come back. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. So this just happened. I haven't even heard the audio. I was saving this For you guys, because I love you so much, the Atlanta Braves are headed to the White House today to celebrate winning the last World Series. Well, of course, some busybody reporter had to ask about their name and the tomahawk chop. Let's see what the genius White House press secretary has to say. Um, The president hosting the Atlanta Braves today, wondering if you or the president has any thoughts about the controversial about the team name, the Braves name, the so-called Tomahawk Shop. Any thoughts on? Oh, good so, Lord. Look, we we believe that it's important um, to have this conversation. Uh, you know, and uh, and Native American and indigenous voices, uh, they should be at the center of this conversation. Uh, that is something that the president believes, that's something that this administration believes, and he has consistently emphasized that all people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. You hear that often uh, from this president. The same is true here, and we should listen to Native American and indigenous people who are the most impacted uh, by this. Well, in fact, The Braves have worked with uh, local Indian tribes, and they have appreciated it and come out in defense of what the Atlanta Braves have done. Uh, Honestly, I can't really blame so much this response from the reporter or from the White House press secretary. you got to figure out who the idiot uh, reporter is. Clearly a Karen Uh, Some Karen asking about it. I'm sorry I got hate mail from someone named Karen lecturing me on use of the word Karen to describe uh, bossy women. And so my apologies to the Karens. I'm sorry. It just came out. Forgive me. Don't yell at me with your cell phone out streaming live. My punishment, please. Please don't do that. Please, I apologize. Now, the other one that happened here a short time ago is, well, I'm just going to let this one speak for itself because it plays directly into where we're headed. I'm going to ask you about the, the new poll that was out this weekend, this ABC Washington Post poll. Uh, it shows 56% of Democrats want the party to nominate someone other than Biden. And for people under 40, 75% want the party to pick someone different. Um, is the president concerned by this? How's he digesting a number like that? So, as you know, I'm I'm very limited on, on how I can discuss any kind of elections. Uh, I will reiterate what we have said many times from here, what the president has said many times, even as recently as his 60-minute interview, is that he intends to run. Uh, Don't have any more announcements on that. He intends to run well. Manu Raju was on CNN, one of their political reporters in Washington. He's got this to say. Do Democrats want Biden on the ballot in 2024? The mood inside the Democratic Party is shifting to yes. According to new reporting from CNN, quote, many Democratic leaders 
operatives and officials are cautiously warming to the idea of President Joe Biden running for re-election in 2024. That's according to dozens of high-ranking Democrats. But just that many voters and don't like many voters and donors, as poll after poll shows, they're not sure he should do it or that he will. <laughs> yeah, the, the donors aren't sure. See, here's what happened. They they had a good run of it in August. The media gave him the, all the attention he wanted. They were able to get the Inflation Reduction Act passed, and the polls turned, and the, and the Democrats misinterpreted what was going on. It always happens. I've, I've, I've told you guys this. I've gotten hate mail from you guys uh, for saying it ad nauseum. I'm going to get an angry email from Charlie here in a moment uh, for, for going back into this, but it, it, it has to be said. It always happens. It always happens. There's always, when the Republicans are on the verge of taking over Congress, the voters have this recalibrated shift towards the end of July into August and early September saying, do we really want these Republicans in charge? Because the public, by and large, tends to overwhelmingly be Democrat. I tell you guys all the time, people are stupid. And the voters like, ah, and then by the end of September, early October, they're like, all right, screw it. Let's go Republican. Things are bad. We, we need a wake-up call. And they sweep the Republicans back and back. It happens all the time. And the Democrats have been sitting back, seeing the polling shifting around. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's doing good. We want Joe Biden in 2024. He's owning the right. Except is he? Here's the New York Times' is Jonathan Martin in this conversation. I think two things. One I found striking in the story, Isaac, was there was a reference to elected Democrats who are biting their tongues right now. Mm -hmm. I think that after the midterms, we'll see a more candid assessment yeah. from the actual leadership wing of the, Republic, of the Democratic Party, members of Congress, governors and such, in terms of what they actually want Biden to do. I think now they're being a little bit reluctant because the midterms are, yeah. are upon us. The other thing is the Democratic Party has this internal culture that is almost reflective of what the GOP used to be, which is there's there's this sort of this penalty for stepping out of line. Look, mm -hmm. when when Dean Phillips from Minnesota, the, the congressman, said that Biden shouldn't run again, uh, he got blowback at home and certainly online mm -hmm. because there's this idea that if you criticize the leader of the party, you're criticizing the party and yeah. you're helping the other side, mm -hmm. which is so different from politics. Uh, elsewhere in the world where the, the, the sort of folks care about the party, not necessarily the leader at the moment of the party, yeah. right? But yeah. it's just this sort of penalty, okay. this perceived penalty uh -huh. for criticizing the leader of the party that I think helps Biden and constrains the possibility of a challenge. But I wonder is after the midterms, yeah. is there a permission to start saying, look, he's 80, 81 years old, guys, let's get serious about this. And if that, that ice cracks, right. is that then the change? What's been He's going to be in his 80s. And there's another problem. First of all, all these conversations come as the Democrats think uh, the Dobbs decision has helped them. And I don't necessarily think it's going to help them as much as they think. More than I originally thought, but not as much. But there's also this, and this is, is from Jim Garrity over at National Review. Remember how at the end of July, President Biden and his team insisted that two consecutive quarters of shrinking GDP didn't mean the country was in a recession? Well, 
Companies big and small are announcing layoffs more frequently these days, indicating that we're in a period of not-so-subtle belt tightening. Meanwhile, the projections for energy costs ahead of this coming winter are increasingly ominous. The decline in unleaded gasoline prices has stopped, and a long-simmering national housing shortage may be catching up with us. About two weeks ago, a smart friend of mine who works on supply chain issues observed that, quote, based on what I'm hearing throughout all the industries that I work with, this month's job report might be brutal. People are getting skinny everywhere they can so that they don't lose their butts. Unfortunately, this means huge groups of people getting fired. Getting skinny means cutting operating costs. Like everything else, once you start looking for something, you start seeing signs of it. Meta which is Facebook, plans to cut expenses by at least 10% in part through staff reductions. Google is eyeing similar cuts with their CEO, characterizing it as, quote, being a bit more responsible through one of the toughest macroeconomic conditions underway. Twilio, another tech site, announced plans to lay off 11% of its workforce. Snap, that is Snapchat, is going to lay off 20% of its workforce. A lot of big companies, even outside the tech sector, are announcing eliminations. The Gap is eliminating 500 corporate jobs. Boeing is eliminating 150 positions in finance and accounting. Walmart announced it's eliminating 200 corporate jobs. FedEx is enacting a hiring freeze and closing more than 90 FedEx office locations. An ice cream plant in New York has laid off people. A slew of hospitals nationwide are laying off people even during a nursing shortage. In real estate, Remax, Redfin, Wells Fargo have announced layoffs in recent months, totaling thousands of jobs. None of the individual company moves by themselves are likely to make a big difference in the national jobs numbers. And you can find companies announcing layoffs in any month. But cumulatively, these announcements suggest we're in a period of not-so-subtle belt tightening. Businesses don't know what to expect in the coming months. It's a real problem growing for Democrats at this time because it's coming before the election. The winds have shifted against the Democrats. It turns out, as I've said a couple of times recently, looks more like it was an economic hurricane that caused the wind in their sails than anything else. The Dow right now is down 400 points. NASDAQ is down 64 points. The S&P 500 down 43 points. All of the markets, all of the markets are in bear territory. Every single one of them. And the White House continues to try their best to spin the economy. And it's not really working for them. It's just not helping. Household debt is at a record high at this point. Listen to this from CNBC on just some of the economic metrics. Do not underestimate the massive impact that rising rates may have on American business and family balance sheets. According to the New York Federal Reserve, total household debt is now at a record high of more than $16.1 trillion. A lot of that is housing, but it also includes a whopping $890 billion in credit card debt alone. And much of the growing debt is on a variable rate, meaning it will go up as rates go up. And it has been. Listen to this. According to Bankrate, the current average credit card APR stands at 18.1%. That is the highest since 1995. 
And with red-hot inflation making many essentials more expensive than ever already, what does this mean for the state of our debt? Not, not good. That's what it means for the state of all of our debt. It's going to have real-world impact on everybody's situation out there. And this, again, it, 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 it's all happening. It's all happening before the midterms. Um, I can't play you a ton of this because the clip is too long, but I want to play you an abridged clip here. This is Jared Bernstein, the chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. He's on with Joe Kernan on CNBC early this morning. Listen to this part of the conversation. Here we go. It's been a brutal couple of weeks for the market, obviously. Awful inflation numbers. Now the likelihood of a hard landing, maybe even a global recession, according to some. The student loan forgiveness... In the middle of all this, adding hundreds of billions, even a trillion dollars to the demand side, doesn't that make the Fed's job even more difficult? Your allies, Larry Summers, Jason Furman, both warn that that's a problem. The president once again bowing to the far left. Does that justify you know, increasing demand and making things worse Right at this time, Jared, I know you know, it's no way you so, can sell this to me with a straight well, face. Wait a second. Uh, let me try the following, because um, this is a fact that I, uh, is not reflected in the rap you just gave me. And if, you ask, <laughs> and if you ask Jason and Larry about this, I think they'll agree. You should, you should try and find out for yourself. Okay. Um, the thing you left out was restart. That is, restarting student loan payments, which, of course, have been in forbearance, uh, since the pandemic began, that begins in January. And if you actually look at the numbers month by month, the amount of restart, even with debt forgiveness, basically offsets the amount of forgiveness. All right. They're now defending student loans, saying it's not going to contribute to inflation. They're doing this as layoffs begin. They're doing this as the economy goes down. They, they've, they've lost the message. They're not defending an economic record here. They're defending a student loan bailout. They're defending abortion on demand. They're defending going after Donald Trump. They're not defending their record. And that's going to hurt them. The winds are shifting. And we're not even within a month of the election. There's still more than a month for all of these events to play out. And the deck seems to be stacked against the Democrats headed to November. Their boost of confidence in August and early September, well, it can't last. Events change things. Events change things. I will tell you what else changes things. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm changes the air. If it stinks in your house, you can probably take care of it. It's an air purifier. I don't leave the thing running as an air purifier for dust and pollen in my house, but I use it regularly to eliminate odors, and I had an experience with it this weekend. So I was staying in a cottage where someone had used the fireplace, and so it smelled like the fireplace had been used. It was a wood-burning fireplace, which I don't really have a problem with, but I do have allergies, and I just fired up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm because I travel with it. I keep one in my suitcase for times like this, and it just worked. It, it got rid of the odors. It did. I use it when I'm I'm frying in the kitchen. I use it with rental cars. If they've got someone's been smoking in the rental car, you can use it with a litter box and pet odors. It just wipes out the odors. You plug it in, you walk away, and when you come back, the odors are eliminated. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. 
Eden, like the Garden of Eden, pures the driven snow, EdenPureDeals.com. You'll be greeted with a discount box on the very front page of that website, and you put in Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You can get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $300, for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. It's EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric3. You can get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, wipe out odors. You get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement, your RV, your suitcase like I use it for. They work. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Eric3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me today. I'm I'm still kind of incensed about the... Um, the, the so-called top story stuff, my goodness. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to dwell on that. I want to jump into something here. The ABC News Washington Post poll, they have flipped to the likely voter model finally. In the registered voter poll, it has Republicans up one. In the likely voter model, it has Republicans up five which is very interesting. Looking two years off, just 35% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents favor Biden for 2024. 56% want someone else. Republicans and GOP-leaning independents are split 47-46 on whether Trump should be their nominee, a 20-point drop for Trump compared with this 2020 nomination. The unpopularity of both figures may encourage third-party hopefuls, though they rarely do. In a head-to-head match, Joe Biden would best Donald Trump 48-46. They're essentially tied among registered voters. The numbers would reverse 46-48. That's even while 52% of Americans say Trump should be charged with a crime. That's how bad the underlying data is for Joe Biden. That even though 52% of Americans think Donald Trump should be charged with a crime, more registered voters would pick him than pick Biden. What's striking here is this. Among likely voters, Joe Biden beats Trump 48-46. Among that same pool of likely voters, the Republicans take Congress by five. People don't like Joe Biden right now. And yet Democratic leaders suddenly think it would be A-OK to have him in charge. I just don't think it's going to work that way. I don't think it's going to work that way. The Democrats' current results are better than last November when Republicans led by 10 percentage points, the largest midterm lead dating back 40 years. It's true that National House vote polling offers only a rough gauge of ultimate seats given redistricting and the like. The problem here is that while Democrats do great on things like abortion and people's dissatisfaction with the Dobbs ruling, overall, 74% of Americans think the economy is doing poorly. And the number one, number two, number three, number four issues, well, it's economy, it's highly important, followed by education, followed by inflation, followed by crime, then abortion, then immigration, then climate change. Where do things line up? Plus 16 GOP on economy, plus six Democrats on education, plus 19 Republicans on inflation, plus 14 Republicans on crime. Those are the top issues. Republicans ahead on all but education and only behind by six on that one, normally behind by 20. Bad news for the GOP or for the Democrats in this polling from ABC News.